Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by the one, the only, the greatest, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club, connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. Today, I caught up with Mark DeNoyer. Mark is a Cub member who is a serial entrepreneur. He started his first business at 21, which was a Caltech service station. Uh, He ended up with two service stations and sold them successfully. He then moved into buying a construction business uh, of which he grew from a revenue of 500,000 to 65 million. Now, Mark works with other business owners, uh, helping them achieve their goals by implementing uh, the Entrepreneurial Operating System or EOS. EOS is a great system. I know it very well. In fact, I've used it uh, myself uh, at the beginning of the of my cub journey. Mark is one of those people that is just a brilliant person to give you advice. I don't take advice from just anyone. And uh, since speaking to Mark for the first time two weeks ago on an impromptu call, I can tell you that this man has taught me lots over the past two weeks and lots in the conversation we had on the podcast. So enjoy the show. you're a bit of a weapon i was just reading your prep sheet for the podcast and at 21 you started or you you opened a, a caltex was it mm. you've been an iron man before you went into construction and, and grew a monster sized business you you've uh, done a bit of everything you come from a family business you're just a, i guess a very high performing dude in all aspects of your life especially with your iron man running and all that type of stuff. Well, tell us, why don't you give me a summary of yourself? Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Um, yeah, I think the best thing about that is doing all that while being over 110 kilos. So I think that's, that's, yeah. that's yeah. I'm in, the, uh, in the fine print. So that's probably the amazing thing. But yeah, my story is just from a very early age, growing up in a very entrepreneurial family. Uh, my, my dad was an entrepreneur. He had four or five businesses uh, going at once and I've always lived the – you know, small medium business kind of life in that way. I grew up in it and, um, you know, just kind of really loved it from there. It probably helped that I wasn't that great at school early mm-hmm. on. I was an underachiever. And um, so I always looked up to my dad and thought, mate, if I could just be like him, you know, I'm going to have an amazing life. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely relate to that. I have a similar a similar family background, similar drivers. So I, I completely relate to that. I also forgot to mention that you were a bodybuilder, weren't you? <laughs> Is that true? All the skeletons coming out now. Yeah, well, hey, mate, Look, you've, you've put them here on the sh- on the brag sheet, I call it. <laughs> yeah. I, mention it. I, 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 I suffer with um, – I've got a weakness in my health and and I'm, oh, I've always been a bit overweight. There's this one moment in my life where I just – I'm a bit of an extremist and I thought, you know, one moment in my life I'm going to really take this serious and I thought what's the best way to – be serious well how about we do a bodybuilding competition and i got one of my best mate um to come with me and and we did it and it was um it was seven months I actually trained just down the road here actually at city gym yeah 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 and i see gym very well yeah yeah and um seven months later lost 30 kilos and and um got up on stage and yeah actually the photos actually they did a good good job of the makeup and the photos. So I actually looked the part. Really? Yeah, yeah. The problem problem was it just didn't last for very long. But at least I got the memory. Yeah, but you know what's <laughs> funny about that is, it's very, I relate to that too. It's I only really work hard when I've got something to work towards. When I've got a mm. kind of goal or I'm 
there's something to lose at the end. For example, when I was trying to be real healthy mm. so I could focus on work rather than drink too much and lose mm. my mind, uh, I would sign up to boxing tournaments just because just because I knew, okay, if I go out tonight or if I, if I don't focus, if I'm not sober or whatever, yeah. I'm going to get my ass kicked in front of all my friends and yeah, my family. Yeah, so it's, it's, I'll do that. It's the in front of all the friends part yeah. that just keeps you training, doesn't yeah, it? It does. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And you like me. performing too. You like I, 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 I tend to like that. So it, it, you're an incredible person. And, and as you know, today we really want to um, hear your story and, and kind of understand your psyche a bit better. But mm. But more so learn from your lessons and learn from your the knowledge you've accumulated through through such an incredible career. Um, I did mention at 21 you started um, um, a Caltex or two Caltexes eventually. You sold them. You you got involved with a construction business, mm. which I actually don't know much about, so I'm going to ask you, which you took up to um, – $65 million. $65 business. million in revenue. Yeah. Uh, and, and you were quite young at the time, I believe. Um, so you've sold that and now you're – focusing on uh, implementing EOS into mm. businesses, which I actually know the EOS system very well. Mm. Um, um, and EOS, for those who – actually, you should probably describe it because I'll, I'll butcher it. That's okay. Uh, so it stands for the Entrepreneurial Operating System and it started in, in uh, the States probably about 20 years ago. Uh, I think the Americans like the word entrepreneur and probably in Australia probably more relevant term is the business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really – yeah, if I, it's an operating system. It's a way that you kind of operate your business and I think it's just really based on kind of like the timeless management principles that we kind of like all have known for the last 100 years and will probably be relevant for another 1,000 years to be honest and just distilled down into a system that's really easy to follow, easy to implement. It's the push-ups, the sit-ups that actually get the results and um, – yeah, it's just become really, really popular worldwide. Over 8,000 companies have implemented the system. It's just a management system, yeah? So it shows mm. you how to manage your business. Correct. Excellent. Well, mate, you started the Caltex at 21. Yeah. Right? That Was was that a family venture? You went in with your anyone or? Yeah, so it was actually my brother-in-law at the time. He he, he had a site, uh, a smaller service station in Blackheath. And at that time I was studying in, in uni and – I, was, uh, I did a commerce accounting degree actually and so I was studying with a whole bunch of future corporate accountants and I just knew in that crowd that wasn't my crowd, it wasn't going to be me. But what I did know was I loved business and what I loved about accounting, even though it's a pretty dry subject, is it is the language of business. I knew enough to know oh, maybe, maybe that's going to be valuable. So by the time I finished that, I got some skills but I was never going to go into corporate life. I actually went up uh, to Blackheath and helped my brother-in-law out um, for about six months and then a developer actually rocked up in town and he, uh, he came, he was a really nice guy, very charismatic guy and he said, oh, can I have a coffee with you two guys? And, you know, I was like 20, 21, my, my brother-in-law was t- maybe 23-odd. He said, look, I'm going to develop, see that site down the road which is like a huge truck repair um, facility. I'm going to develop that up the road. It's going to be a monster service station site. And like while we're sipping our coffee, like we're kind of our hearts just about to pop out of our mouth because that would have killed my brother brother-in-law's business. He said, "But look, I, I know what you're thinking. Like, I'm not here to kind of destroy you guys. I'm actually here to give you the first opportunity if you want the site." Wow. 
then kind of not only did the heart pop out but probably the lungs came out too because we thought, <laughs> how are we going to do that? You know, I'm 21, he's 23. In the end, we ended up um, we ended up coming together as a family, and basically we bet the family farm, you know, bet the farm on this side, and, and it's up in Mount Victoria, still there today, operating. And um, it was a big venture. It was not just a service station, but a kind of forty seat, twenty four hour restaurant with a workshop at the back. That's why it's a pretty big operation, and and we did it partly to kind of safeguard my brother's brother-in-law's existing business but it was also just a fortuitous moment where it gave me my opportunity in business very early on uh, albeit 21 where I was very wet behind the years it was an opportunity and we took it at 21 I mean you're so young how do you know you want to get into how do you know you love business you haven't tried business yet never tried it but I grew up in it so back to my story of my father he had everything was always on the line he was running four or five businesses. It was a family business. Um, he always worked a lot. Uh, he's very ambitious, um, very charismatic. So what did you like about it? I like the idea. Well, I started my very first business was because uh, I just wanted to get into it. Was it actually mowing lawns in my local oh, suburb? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so actually that was my very first business. And what I what I got out of that experience in the months, six months that I did that, six to 12 months I did that, was that when you – Business seems very logical. If you put, if you provide a good product or service and and good value, and you're prepared to work hard, you will get the rewards back. That made a lot of sense to me. Mm. So, and then looking at my dad's experience, I just thought, wow, this is this is kind of like this is what I want to do. What I didn't know was that in those between those six to twelve months of starting that business, my father died, and that was a a life changing moment. The the first business or the or the Caltex. That was uh, the the first business, uh, which is like a kids' business, which is the lawn yeah. mowing in the suburbs. Yeah, because he actually helped me, inspired me to set it up and helped me. My mother always warned me not to do it. She was always afraid that I'd get hurt or mm. something would happen. Um, but my, my father was like, "No, and Maria, like no one. There's very very few people that show an entrepreneurial spirit and have a go. Let him have a go." Mm. And I, that really empowered me, especially because I was underperforming at school. And <laughs> no one's going to, no one's going to hire me. <laughs> I'm going to have to. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I have to credit myself. <laughs> so um, that, that was fantastic. And um, yeah, and then, I, and then I really, really loved it. And do you mind me asking? It's a bit of a sensitive question, but you've got a, a mentor in your father, mm. someone who motivated you and inspired you and actually made you kind of encourage you to start. Mm. When you lose that, mm. when when your father passed, sadly. What was that feeling of in regards to your future, in regards mm. to your independent future in business? Was it a shock and pause and then a push forwards? Or the, re- the reason I ask because mm. I, if that happened to me now, I'm, I'm, I don't know what it would feel yeah. like, but that would be a big, big effect to my, to my career, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it was a shock. I think you stay in shock for quite a period of time. Um, to be really honest, I actually hated business when that happened. I got very, very cynical about it because my dad was 36 when he passed away unexpectedly and up until that point all I'd seen this guy do was just put his heart, his bloody sweaty tears, brought his family together to produce something that I don't ever felt like he got the just rewards back from it. The fruit hadn't been picked off the tree so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was in the property space. And that was, I mean, he passed away in 1994 and that was just after the recession, if not the tail end of it. So we all know what's happened in the last 20, 30 years in the property space since then. 
it's it's been a bit of a hard thing to swallow. It's a very unfair thing. Um, but you kind of like a leopard can't change its spots. As I grew up older, I couldn't deny that I loved being entrepreneurialism. I loved commerce, loved business, and you know you can't suppress your passion forever. Do you think there's almost that? Um, my father, like you said, wasn't able to really reap his rewards. So now I'm going to make sure that I reap them for him. Bit of that. I won't lie. Yeah. Um, that's probably the teenage boy coming out of me, and I was rebelling. Um, and I had that mindset and I don't think anyone else at my age had that mindset and it was probably, to be honest, on reflection, more subconscious than overtly telling anyone. I mean that, to say that it's, it sounds very bad in a way but… I don't think so. I, you don't think? No, I think that, I think that you, when things like that happen, you, you, it gives you a, something inside yourself that could be… Much stronger than what other people have inside themselves, mm. a greater reason to succeed, something greater than yourself. Yeah, and I think that that's a no, I, not normal, but I think that that's a. I mean, I could understand yeah. that drive, that that extra reason to push. Mm. It's just a really interesting story. And then you still, and so you, you're so young, you're 21, then you have the courage to get into business with your brother-in-law. Mm. Um, how did you? How long were you in that business for? Until what age? Yeah, so that was 2003. Yep. And I was 21. We had that business for five years and we sold it uh, 2008. So that's five years. Mm-hmm. And um, getting back to the business subject, it was amazing. Like The funny thing about not being in business and then getting into business is you've got all these preconceived ideas of what it's going to be about and you've got all these ideas of what it's, how it's going to yeah. work and everything. <laughs> yeah. And um, I remember everything was great up until we opened the doors and then was, this is a 24-hour site, still 24 hours. The realisation that those doors are open and they were never going to close, I got this um, sense of, wow, this is now, this is going to take me to drive this thing forward. Mm. And um, the preceding six months were actually one of the worst periods I've ever had in my business career because we pretty much almost ran out of money. We were, we were a couple of months from going completely belly up. We'd worked through all our working capital. And um, it was a baptism, baptism of fire, but luckily, luckily we turned it around. And how? Uh, so what was wrong? What was wrong was I had a preconceived idea of what I felt like my customers wanted, and the reality, particularly with the restaurant side of the business, uh, was my market was truck drivers and travellers out on the road. And what I thought, because I grew up in Sydney, Sydney food, what I thought they wanted. I, I provided from day one, but it really wasn't what the country people wanted and the travellers wanted. And I had to get over myself. I had to get over my own ego that, you know, it's not about you, Mark. It's about what they want. That was the that was the thing that needed to be plugged to, to stop a whole lot of money going out. So in those first two months I had to overhaul my entire offer um, to be able to, to, to remedy that problem. And it wasn't as though it was a, a V-shaped recovery. It was almost like just a slowing down of the losses mm. and then, and then a, a gradual build. took two, three years to then build it up from there and it became a really highly profitable business in the end. I mean, Caltech's at that stage had over a thousand stores nationally. It was in the top 30. Wow. Mm. Isn't that incredible though? Yeah, I'll tell you a story. Yeah. Similar thing happened to me. Yeah. Oh, actually fucking exact same thing happened to me. <laughs> my first business, or yeah, my first business was a, a restaurant. Mm. The first, it was probably, it probably made it about nine months, I'd say. Mm. But the first six months, it was actually doing 
wasn't doing well, but it wasn't costing money. It wasn't losing money, yeah, right? Yeah. And it was really like humble food, big chicken schnitzel and all that like type of thing. This was in Dremoyne, by the right, way. Right, so yeah. You, you know Dremoyne, yeah? I do, yeah. Um, and so it was going quite well. It was low cost, had a nice outdoor area. Yeah. There was good alcohol and things like that. Anyway, it started doing better and better and then I got real cocky and I was like, oh, man, I'm going to take this to the next level. And so what I did was I changed the concept to be something that I wanted, which was the city experience, so the fancy experience, but with local convenience. That was my – that was actually exactly right. my like my concept. Yeah. And I thought all the mums and dads in the area, instead of having to go all the way to the city to have a date night, they'd come here and have a have a date night and to be close to the kids, close yeah. to the home. Anyway, I changed the chef. So the cost increased basically. Mm. Um, um, the cost increase, short story. The concept wasn't, in fact, what they wanted. Yeah. And so the money stopped and the restaurant completely basically just failed in the next yeah. two two months. It was completely wiped amazing. out. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, you got to get your ego out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Very um, costly. Yeah, it can be costly, ego. can it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And trying to prove what you think is right, trying to prove it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And look, I think the only difference is like I was lucky to catch it early enough that I didn't because that safe. would be the only – otherwise my story would have ended up the same. Mm. And that way, you know, whether it's luck or fortune or whatever, um, you know, just fortunate. And so the big lesson from the Caltex business was um, was don't uh, provide your customers what you want, provide them what they want. That's right. And Well, don't assume it. Sorry. Don't assume – yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and always be focused on that. Mm. Always be looking on that. And when you've got it right – it's not a static thing. It evolves. Yeah. So you need to keep on surveying. You need to keep on making sure that essentially you're doing it better than the, the person down the road. Yeah. One of the, one of the biggest life lessons I reckon I've ever had has been not to assume that other people think mm. or want, think mm. how you think how you do or, or want what you want. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that is something very important yeah. that all business owners should yeah. should consider. And I'll tell, tell you another thing too is people won't tell you. Very few clients will tell you and your employees won't tell you but you know what, everyone knows. And that's the elephant in the room with a lot of business owners I think. Yeah. I feel as though being a business owner, you're susceptible to living in your own bubble. you got to be careful with what you're listening to and you got to be looking for what's not being said and I think, I think always questioning, asking the right question is more important than just listening to what people say. Driving, making sure that you're getting the truth, whether it be the customers or, or your staff. I think that's that's very very important. There's a skill in asking the right questions to, to get to get to the real truth. Yeah, I'd like to talk. I'd like to talk about this topic a little bit more. Yeah. The the concept of getting feedback from customers and and things mm. like that. Because, I, I mean, I've always had funny experiences with it. For example, I don't think the customer's always right. A, eh? yeah. I don't because, uh, like with Cup. Yeah, I always use Cub as an example because yeah. it's all I know. But with Cub, the way I think about it is that I and we as a team mm. think about Cub 24-7. All day, every day we're thinking about pros and cons to different ideas, when we should be implementing things, what services that the members are needing and wanting mm. and that type of thing. But your clients, they're not thinking about it all the time. Mm. They're thinking about their business all the time. That's right. And so there is a bit of a gap. So. I mean, what what are your experiences in the best ways to ask for feedback? And then how do you know if the feedback's truthful? That's so many elements to it that could just screw it up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
first point is not everyone, you're going to be okay that not everyone's going to tell you what they truly think. That's the first starting point. Mm. So you've got to ask a lot of people mm. and try to get a general consensus. You take out the outliers, mm. you know. And then I think how, how you ask it's very important. I think if you ask, uh, like say if we're in a restaurant, you know, um, how was your meal, sir? Did you like your meal? I think that's a leading question. That really invites a yes because I don't want to really tell you. But maybe a better question to ask would be, you know, like, do you enjoy your night? Yeah. How, how could how could your meal have been better? What could we have done to 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 be, you know, to make it a better meal or provide a better service? Or you know, if there was one thing that we could focus on next time, what do you think that would be? And that leads that person. It basically opens the door to invite criticism. And I think a business, uh, if you want to create a culture in a business where you get into the truth and what really people really need and want, which is the essence of commercialization and providing a product service that works, you've got to get to the truth and you've got to invite criticism. And the way to do that is to continually ask, how could it be better? What would you do to – that's great, you loved it. How could it be even better? I fully agree because if you don't ask – and I love that question – what could we do to make it – or how, how could this have been better for you? Mm. Because the problem is when you just ask someone for feedback, oh, do you have any feedback on this? You're basically getting uh, – you're basically asking them to think of things that were wrong. Mm. Right? And I don't like doing that because even if there was nothing wrong, it's a great service. They're going to they're gonna now think of the one thing they didn't like and they're going to leave or they're going to finish uh-huh. thinking about something they didn't like as opposed to the 90% of it that was good. You ask them to think of the – I'm almost on the – uh, thought process that you should ask them, well, what was your favorite thing about it? Because then they're going to think, oh, what was my favorite thing? Oh, that's my favorite thing. And then the rest of the day, they're going to be thinking about the favorite thing that they, they got from your, yeah. from your service. So you could even ask the opposite. Of course, I love your question, uh, how could it have been better? Because it invites them to, to give you ideas of, of ways it could be better. Yeah. It doesn't ask them for feedback, which is things that were wrong, mm. right? even if there's nothing wrong. Yeah, and I think – I think knowing, just knowing before you even ask anything that firstly they may not even give their true opinion, um, they may lie, like knowing all that because everyone's different, you can't control what they say. Asking the question just to get a broad kind of understanding and trying to join the dots um, is valuable and I get your point, I get your point, you don't want to leave them with a negative experience and that's why I think how you tee it up is very important Um, but ultimately and I get your point and I think that because that, you want people to leave with that good experience but I think ultimately the fundamental thing is if you do want to improve, you have to seek that feedback and the original question was how do you get honest feedback and I think that is asking that question, you know, if there could be something that could be even better next time, what do you think that would be? And it's all about the questioning. It's all about the questioning. Yeah, because you just changed it a little bit which I think even made it better. It right. was not how could we make it better, it was is there something we could do to make it better next time? Yeah. Because it's all right if there's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's great now, you're happy with it. Yeah. That's also good. Yeah. And then you, there's also a funny line too mm. with clients because you don't want to give them too much power in that they expect for there to always be feedback. Oh, go! I, I recommend this, I suggest it. And suddenly you have all these people telling you what to do. Yeah. But at the same time, needing to ask them. So you can't maybe ask, like, is there a line where you don't want to ask too much because it might also look like you're insecure, you know, oh, like, mm. you know, the, the husband and the wife, oh, do I look all right? Like, how do I look? Do I look? You know, they were they're checking you. You look fine. Relax. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not married. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that concept on TV. Yeah. Um, 
is there a line where, okay, you don't want to ask too often either? Absolutely. I think it's all about discretion and picking the right moment and um, – Having know, a system perhaps in place that yeah, – po- Yeah, possibly. But I think, I think there needs to be the underlying thing that if you're prepared to go there, there's an underlying assumption that you're going to do something about it. And I think you need to be comfortable with that just because you're seeking feedback and you receive that honest feedback. The assumption is that you'll do something about it. That's an assumption. Mm. And I think you sh- if you want to be powerful in the area, you need to be okay that what they say you're not going to do. Mm. And you may, even t- you may even tell them that. It may be the reason why. And be okay to agree to disagree. It's okay. It d- asking for feedback doesn't mean that I'm going to do what you say I'm going to do. It means that I'm open to your viewpoint and I'll consider it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all running our businesses and we've all got a lot at stake. The buck stops with us. That's why ultimately we've got to do what we feel like is right for the whole. And also we've got a wider context than them. They've got a very narrow context yeah. as a consumer. We've got, we've got the whole context of the business. So it's not fair to think that everything that they say is going to be kind of on point. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be afraid of asking in a very kind of inviting and, you know, um, non-negative way yeah that makes sense yeah because i mean at the end of the day you you've got to do what's best for for your customer absolutely and then i guess another just to throw another spanner in the works Mm. in that one is if you're currently not serving your ideal demographic Mm. or not everyone is your ideal demographic then you're really going to get screwed because you're going to have feedback from people who aren't actually your demographic that you're trying to serve and that's going to throw it out for the majority exactly Exactly. And it's going to ruin your business model. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Man, I don't know why you love business so much. Sounds like a tension. <laughs> I think I love it so much because you you can – I just never feel like you can master it. Yeah. It's a bit like golf. I used to play golf when I was young and um, it's a game that I don't think you ever really kind of kill because you can be humbled at any point. Yeah. Golf, I suck. So <laughs> I'm humbled. But – the business, I like that it's. I like that it's difficult. I like that it's hard. Mm. It's Absolutely. Like if it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. I don't want to be like everyone, so I'm going to try and do as good as I can and, and go as far as I can. Yeah. Because the further and further you get, the more and more kind of individual you are, the more special you are. Because again, if it was easy, everyone, everyone would fucking do it. Absolutely. Because it's awesome. You get yeah. cash and you got free time and you can travel and yeah. give people your love, nice stuff. Business is the best. But the journey is kind of what's better because mm. you, you keep getting better. It's I, not the end yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then breaking through, you know, breaking through the barriers. Mm. It's like that whole point of if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Absolutely. It takes something special to be a business owner. And I think there's very – if I could say one thing, it's that business owners, I don't think – I think are, are underrepresented, and people almost take take it kind of take it for granted that there's people that are willing to risk their capital and their homes and you know go through stress and manage kind of have to be an expert at all these different functions in business going into small medium sized business, and I feel like you know, there's not enough kind of attention and support uh, to help these people because they are the backbone of this whole nation. Yeah, you're seeing it now. Everyone's losing their jobs because business owners are. Uh, are losing their businesses. Yeah. So you're seeing the catastrophic effect or you're seeing the amazing effect, sorry, that the business owner does have on the, Absolutely. On the economy. And so just to get back on, on mm. track with the, with the, with the story, you, you mm. sold the Caltex at the end. Is that correct? Yeah. So what we, what we did was 
we got to the end of um, we own the freehold sites mm-hmm. and we had we were licensing Caltex to to have them as their as the brand and the fuel supplier. But at the end of our five year agreement uh, for a fuel supply agreement, we ended up we went out to the market to BP and Shell and Co. and we just we kind of offered it to the market and. Um, in the end, uh, we got Caltex to kind of commit to the to both uh, Caltex to one site for a twenty year lease, and Woolworths because they just entered the market um, into into fuel onto the Lithgow site, and again another twenty five year lease. And once we got those leases in place with blue chip tenants, you sold. We sold. Yeah. Awesome. And, but market. you didn't own the land; you owned the site. You no, owned, no, we owned the land. You owned the land. Yeah, that's right. And and our agreements with Caltex and and um, our agreements with Caltex was just for the. For the signage mm-hmm. to to buy Caltex fuel yeah. and to merchandise the shop in the way that they wanted to merchandise, so we had that agreement to honour. After that agreement had finished in five years' time, we basically negotiated them to them, them to then lease the the land. And once they leased the land, it wasn't just us operating the business because then they operated the business. Then obviously it opened up the market to the a private value. individual investor yeah. who bought the site. The land value or the, the business value skyrocketed because of the long yeah, leases. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, love it, Matt. Yeah. And then um, what happened? You got into your construction business. Yeah, well, I think when we started the fuel business, fuel businesses, there wasn't any of the supermarkets in the market at that point in time. By the time we exited, Coles and Woolworths had, had come into the market and I started to feel as though – continuing in this industry was not really running your own business. It was pretty much kind of being a puppet to the a majors. franchise. Yeah, and that wasn't something that really excited either myself or my brother-in-law. So um, he ended up going a different direction. We ended up obviously once we successfully sold both sites, uh, came back down to Sydney. I was born and raised in Sydney and got married, had had um, my first of four children, Christian, um, and so I felt like, yeah, that was a really good kind of point where I could kind of chart the new new course to my life. And but it only took me three or four weeks staying at home uh, with my wife. I love my wife. I love you, Nicole, by the way. Um, <laughs> but it only took three or four weeks uh, to realise I need to get out there and do something and um, you know pick a new career. And at the same time, through a um, kind of through a family connection, um, you know, my my business partner. Uh, for the new business, had just started um, a construction company in Sydney, in Sydney CBD and he was about two or three months in and uh, I just kind of knocked on his door and said, hey, let me come in, let me help you out for a couple of weeks and I don't know what I'm doing and um, what I'm going to do for the rest of my life but let me come in and help you. I'm just going to work that out and went there for two weeks and, and basically we worked out a deal and never left. Well, so or, and never left until obviously then I sold out of the business two years ago. So you became a partner in the company? and That's right. So shareholder and director and and uh, there was just three of us at the time as in, you know, myself and, and my business partner. Um, we were both the two shareholders and um, we had a site manager who was actually my uncle. Uh, and um, You're, you know, Are you Italian? Italian background, yeah. yeah born in Australia. Yeah. Um, Italian parents and. Yeah, then we we just yeah that was back in two thousand and eight GFC, and we grew that business um, from there about five hundred thousand dollars turnover in that first year through to two years ago two thousand eighteen you know, selling a sixty five million dollar business with seventy full time staff. But what was the business itself? It was a fit out business, was it? So uh, yeah, so next constructions. Yeah, and we did um, construction, refurbishment, and fit out. What does that mean? So we did anything from you know, um, towards the later years. Apartment building, residential apartment building, uh, 
in the in the order of around twenty to twenty five million dollar projects. So a developer would come to you, say, "Hey, I want to build, I want to build uh, twenty four units." Yeah. Um, and then you guys would build the units. That's right. Yeah, we'd we'd be the builder. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And yeah. and um, I mean, that's obviously very different to what you were doing in the first place. Yeah. To what's that about? Did you? <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, you know, that's probably the story of my life where I feel like I've never really specialised in one thing. I call myself more of a generalist. Um, I've had to be because at age 21, I mean, I never ran a service station site before I owned a service station yeah. and, you know, I had kind of 30 staff that were pretty much all older than me. Um, yeah, there's points where you can get very insecure about things and but you've got to push on. Um, I've always just been in that environment to throw myself in the deep end and work it out as I go. The truth in the construction business is you, you quickly work out after kind of just kind of getting it off the ground that there's always a lot of people that are a lot smarter and a lot better at a particular function than I'll ever be and the game is all, always to try to identify those people and put the right people in the right seats and if you can do that and and um, work towards a, a common vision where everyone's inspired to get on, get on board and, and achieve the goal then amazing things can happen it doesn't matter how good individually i am at construction because i've got the team that is yeah teams everything we talk about it absolutely in almost every podcast episode in fact this morning i was reading again mm. uh, a book called good to great have you read it yeah i have yeah um and the i think the second chapter um in companies that went that the great greatest companies basically of all time yeah. um second chapter in the book um these companies all focused on building the team before they actually built where they're going or the yeah. vision, and the idea is that if you build, um, if you if you build a vision or a goal before the team, people can join the team to because they like that goal, they like that vision. But if the goal moves, you're in trouble because they might they might not like the new goal. That's right. Whereas if you build the team and you build a culture and you build that culture of discipline and you want a players and they like the team they're coming into, it doesn't mm. matter what the goal is. Yeah, the team can think and. And um, um, I mean, our experience is Cub. As soon as we got the right team, bang bang, we're like ninjas. We're just mm. cutting through, kicking through boards, and That's it. and working our way up the mountain. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's fantastic. Uh, team is golden. Team is golden. And that and that's. That's where I knew, I mean, early on I realised, oh, gosh, like I'm never going to be able to know everything about construction like the people I'm hiring so they are automatically a lot better than, than I. And then. That's the beautiful thing, I think, looking back on my journey, what I'm really grateful for is I'm grateful to be able to be okay with that and I didn't need the limelight in all these areas and I quickly realised that my unique ability was actually identifying the right talent, attracting them, bringing them in and kind of retaining them in a, in a way that they were they wanted they wanted to be a part of the team. I think... Honing that skill throughout that construction business as we grew to 70 staff became my unique ability and something that I love to do and I, and I miss. Can I'm, you share, share how you did it with us, maybe some tips or some lessons? So many things that come to mind. Obviously I don't think there's going to be one silver bullet or a magic pill to do that. I think anyone that came, comes on board in your business, firstly they don't need to come on board. It's a, you have to sell it. And sales is another whole topic in itself, which I'm sure you know a lot about. But it's all about kind of attracting and getting them inspired 
in what in, in a vision in where the business is going. I, I tend to find that all the great players in my business, they all wanted to know that we had we had a my business partner and I had a vision for that business and we had a standard, and we were also very honest in those conversations to say we are actually not nowhere near there yet. But the reason why we're having this meeting is we've identified that you've got you've got this ability to come on board and actually help us with it. Come and join us on this journey. It was never uh, look how good we are kind of impressing the candidate. You actually need to be vulnerable and let the candidate know we're deficient in this area. We're, weak in this. we're strong in these areas. but We've realised we're deficient in these areas. This is where we would like to be in 10 years' time. And you, 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 look, you look like that person that, it's got those skills in that area that, and, and you got that drive. That's why we wanted to have this conversation to see if you wanted to come on board and be a part of part of the team. We'd, we'd love you to have a look at it. Don't know if it's going to be for you. And by the way, it's going to be really hard. That's the other thing. That's the other tip I would give is never sell an easy job. You know, be polite but always let them know it's going to be hard work. It's going to be tough. You're going to have challenges. And, what I'm not, and by the way, I'm getting you in, 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 on board because I don't have the answers to your problem, the functional problem. So if you're thinking that I'm going to give you the answers kind of the second, third, fifth day, I just want to let you know like I'm not. That, that's kind of like what I need you to do. So you really like need to be okay with that. So I'd always present a very real, very challenging role. The people, there would be two types of people. People that the eyes would actually go wider and wider and be excited and they'd be like, let me at this problem. They're the people that you want. The people that didn't have that reaction and had any other kind of reaction, they were the people that you knew when times got tough, eventually you'd have the role to be filled again. I honestly think that what you said just then was some of the best advice I've ever heard. If you brought out a contract to work for you, I would have signed it just then. I think that was brilliant advice. In fact, we're going to make some sort of model for that, Laura, and maybe put that on the new podcast website, which everyone keep uh, keep an eye out for. It's going to be – what is it? It's cub.club forward slash podcast or – Catching up with cub.com.au. It's coming soon. And that, I reckon we do some sort of model for what you just said, yeah. Mark, and we put that on your on your on your page on the podcast. It's yours. Mad. It's yours, man. Oh, yours. I'm excited about that. Yeah. I want to put that maybe my money. And, I, I, and you know what? It goes back. Can I just segue back to earlier in our conversation about as a business owner having ego? Mm-hmm. I see a lot of business owners, or like, even my managers, like in those situations, they feel like they need to sell the company and they need to say how good that company is and how good we are and we have achieved this, we've achieved that. A great candidate who's productive, and they want to challenge. They want to come on board and they want to leave their impression, their mark on the business and when they do, they want to be recognised for it in all ways. That's the fair deal. And I just feel as though sometimes when we get success, early success, we find ourselves pitching our company of how good we are when... The truth is, like, that doesn't need to be said. That's just known, right? doesn't need to be said. What needs to be said is, but we've got so far to go. But this is where we want to go. And we have weaknesses and we're talking about, you know, we're talking right now because we feel like you, you can come on board and, and make us a better company. Do you want to accept that challenge? It's going to be tough. Do you want to accept it? People that lean in, they're yours. But I think what's, what's actually you're doing there is you're providing the potential team member purpose. You're, you're, you're making them, you're, you're showing them this is why you're going to be significant here. You're going to be 
purposeful here, yeah. can be important here. You yourself yeah. can have a big impact on on us and our team. Hundred percent. And that's what that's what will cause yeah. that. Because it that lights a fire drive. in that person, no matter who they are, what walk in life. I've had that conversation with. 19, 18, 19 year olds coming out of school with no degrees, no nothing. I've had the same conversation as I did a, an industry veteran. Um, and it's the people with the fire in their stomach that want to do it for something more than their own individual kind of material kind of reasons. They want to be a part of something bigger. The job as a leader is to paint that picture and to not, and to be really honest and make sure the contract is, hey, I never said it was easy, you know, and then go on that journey together. And when they do start producing results, to cap it off, make sure that they're recognised and, and rewarded and not just monetary-wise, you know, make sure that they are acknowledged. Staff want to feel acknowledged. It's the leader's job to make sure they always are. And tell me, how do you, um, how did you manage? You, you mentioned you were younger than many of your um, staff, uh, but also um, when you switched industries and went into construction mm. um you may have been younger i don't know but you were certainly less knowledgeable and experienced in their topics uh than your staff how did you be, be an effective manager in that sense as you're almost the not the underdog but you know what i mean you're, you're yeah. the person who doesn't know you you know less or you're less experienced how mm. did you how did you bypass that and, and, and do some effective management when i became that's a great question I'm glad you asked that when i Realised I was effective. It was it was pretty much one thing, and it stays with me to today. No matter what the role is, I need to understand what the valuable end result that they need to produce in that role that they get paid for. I need to know what that valuable end result is, and when I understand what that valuable end result is, for example, in construction, you know, a, a well-built project that's you know. Um, profitable, delivered safely, high quality for a client that wants to work with us again. Something like that, like one sentence that really sums up the valuable end result they need to achieve. If I just got agreement with that person that that is the result they need to achieve and we've got some measurables in place to be able to see how we're going with that or not objectively, so it's not an opinion-based thing, then the rest of how they did that, that's, that's their part. It's not my part to micromanage and tell that person, now do this, now do that. Because then you can't, then you're not managing, you're doing the work. And I think just getting really clear on the valuable result that needs to be achieved, what that looks like, and having some system in place to give them and 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 myself kind of guidance on whether they're achieving that, getting close to that ideal scene or not. That's the essence of management and not stepping in there and doing their work. But equally, when they're not being able to kind of go in there and, and coach the person to help them figure out where they may be needing improvement. Is there someone else that's got the skills that we need to bring in to, to help with training? So there's that, there's that leadership kind of aspect, but they've got to do the lion's share of working out the answers. And the minute that you try to be everyone's answer person, well, I can tell you right now, you're not going to grow a, a very big business and certainly not a successful one. I agree, and you'd be a shit place to work as well. It'd be a shit, and for no one wants people. that. Yeah. yeah, for smart, for able smart people. people, and that goes back to the recruitment. I think recruitment is so underrated; it's everything. You've got to attract and retain the smart, able people. Otherwise, everything downstream is going to be a hell of a lot of hard work. Could you agree? Could you agree? 
And so you sold out, you sold to your business partner, yes? That's right. Your, your shares in that company. Yeah. So he's obviously still operating that business. That's right. Yeah, he's 100%. Going for yeah. Golden. Yeah. And what made you want to take a break from the entrepreneurial kind of um, life yeah. and go into more assisting other business owners? Yeah, I think, look, at that stage, I probably was 17 years in business and I realised in that business we had a vision, a very strong vision and a clear vision and a, and a path to get there. But I had to eat my own cooking. I had to be really honest with myself and say, we've set this up for the business but what do I want personally? And I had to have honest conversations with myself and my business partner and and then eventually my management team and, and the whole business in that saying that, look, I think my purpose kind of lies elsewhere and we, I'd left the business in a great spot. Um, it was the, doing the best that we've ever done and I think my time had come where I needed to, to be honest with myself and live more closely to my true passion which is still business yeah. but it's also helping people and I needed to find that new path and um, building a bigger construction business wasn't wasn't the kind of going to light my flame more and more. I felt like if I didn't catch it now I wasn't going to bring my best self to the future years and the work and that's when we transitioned myself out, got a, a new managing director on board and um, – and I transitioned out of the business. So, and I yeah. guess also you love the diversity and the changing of industries and the challenge. And right now, I guess you get to work in a multiple. I'm, a pig, I'm a pig in mud now. Sorry? I'm like a pig in mud. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah, because you get to work with all different types of businesses. It must be really entertaining for your brain. It, it, yeah, hugely. You know, And I think also too I, I had started as much as I, I said I wasn't great at school in my early years – that somehow self-corrected, luckily, and um, you know, I've I've gone back into university and I completed a master's in project management, and property development, and I'm halfway through my MBA now and my CPA because I've got an accounting background, and I just I do love learning. I, I, I feel like I'm a lifelong learner, and I just yeah, I love business, so I just wanted to get deeper in that. And it's good. obviously you know, moving away from that business is selling. I, I basically had a year sabbatical where I kind of just increased my learning and just gave myself some space after seven years of, you know, going full on, risking all the capital, playing a big game. I thought I just need a bit of a breather, mm. um, upskill. And also I didn't really know what I, exactly what I wanted to do moving forward. So I needed a bit of time to work that out and I have. It's interesting when some people suck at school and then they come out, they do some business and then suddenly they become studious. I mean, have you seen my library? Did I show you my library before? No, I haven't seen that. Thousands of books in there. Wow. I reckon I've read most of them. Yeah, yeah, it's um, amazing. Yeah, but at school I got kicked out of two universities. I got kicked out of really? two schools a couple of times. But, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> but you, you, yeah. It's kind of like, oh, you don't know the purpose of learning until you get into the world and you realise, oh, shit, I need to know some things. And then, 100%. you know, and then like I'll read something. If I'm working on the uh, the strategy of the business, I'll buy all the best strategy books and I'll read them all, over, you know, yeah. and yeah. you kind yeah. of grow. It gives you more purpose to your learning. It is. And I think it took me, you know, kind of 15, 17 years of just trying and picking things up as I go and losing a lot of money and losing a lot of time and just getting there slower for me to realise that the best investment you can make is in yourself, in your own education. Mm. It doesn't mean that all education is equal in value. Mm. You've got to be very selective on what you choose to learn, what book you do read, what advice you do and don't take, you know. You've got to be selective but you have to invest in yourself. Being selective is, is is an interesting thing, particularly in the industry you're currently in, which is, uh, I guess you'd call it consulting, no? 
Uh, business coaching. Business coaching. I call it, yeah, as a now, general term. Now, there's some great people in business coaching. Yeah. But there's also some fools. Sure. Right? Um, classic story. I was sitting at a cafe outside Cub. Yeah. Um, one day and there was this young guy talking to this, I don't know who the fuck this guy was, some, some old dude. And he was talking to him and the old guy was telling him uh, about business. And he, you could see he was a paid coach. And everything he was saying, I pretty much fundamentally disagreed with everything he was saying and a lot of the digital things he was saying were just incorrect. They were wrong. Mm. Anyway, the old guy went to the bathroom mm. and I leaned over to the, to, to the young guy. I was like, mate, do you pay that guy? <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's my business coach. I was like, fucking fire him immediately wow. i was like get rid of that dude you don't know what he's talking about and i think something that people could do to look at if is someone a good business coach or not mm. could be has this person done business before have they been mm. successful in business before do you know what i mean i do know what you mean like and i'll i'll just disclose it right now before i chose this this kind of this profession this vocation I, I didn't think much of business coaches. I think it was, it was a laughing, it was, it was like humorous. And obviously because of that I've seen a few people and, I've, I, you know, I just felt like it's hard when you haven't done it to be able to teach people that are doing it every day. And um, it actually it wasn't, an, uh, it wasn't a no-brainer to go into to business coaching after I'd done what I'd done, which you talked about. It wasn't a no-brainer. It took time for me to mull in my mind. But at the end of the day... I had to be honest and say, what are my true passions? I love business and I, I love helping people. And I feel like, as I said before, business owners are underrepresented mm-hmm. and they, they, they need more support. So I felt like it was a calling and I had to get over my own bullshit about what I thought about it and I need to get out there and make a difference. And Well, also you chose a market that you've got a real big competitive edge on. You know, you've had, you'd had two super successful businesses mm. uh, in different industries. Yeah. Um, before you were then you know, you're then showing uh, others uh, yeah. like the lessons I've already learned today uh, and it's free um, <laughs> have, been, have been golden. I, I think Thanks. that gives you a huge competitive edge against a lot of what might be out there. I'm also mm. a big fan of EOS. So I, yeah. you you would know Daniel Davies, yes? He's my brother-in-law. Is he? No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know your story. <laughs> yeah. I actually know well, this he, story. He, he's my, Wait, didn't he start in a supermarket? So he's my business partner back in 2003. No. I'm the other half. What? Yeah. So he started the first one in 2001. That was when I was in university. So he started the Blackie store, the smaller side, Yay. which was like a mini IGA. <laughs> yeah. But then the service stations after it. that, we 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 went uh, as business partners together in. Oh, I love that guy. Do yeah. you know he joined Cub probably in the first six months of Cub's existence, and I was oh, I was young. I was maybe 23. Yeah. And we didn't even know what Cub was back then. Yeah, yeah. And and um, yeah, I still remember. I'll, I'll never forget. So I, I was I was doing his introduction to Cub. I was basically yeah, doing okay. his, his sale, right? Yeah. At that point, it was just me working. Me right. and a guy named Nick. Gotcha. And at the end, he goes to me, yeah. "Mate, thank you for having me today. Sounds great what you're doing." He goes, "I'm going to join just to let you know." And I was like, "Cool." And he's like, "Let me tell you why." Why? He's like. Because I like you. I believe in you. I, I think that you're special. So I'm going to join because I want to back you. 
I was like, what a fucking legend. <laughs> I love that guy. Nothing but amazing things to talk, say about that guy. And, he, yeah. he, and it, so he actually showed me the EOS system and yeah. took me through it. And yeah. I think it's a fantastic system. I, of all the systems I've ever, I've ever seen, mm. um, I think the EOS is the easiest to implement, the easiest to measure, and therefore because of that, the best. Mm. So I'm, I'm how funny I didn't yeah. know that. Six you should have told me that you didn't put that in your well, you know, podcast when I, when prep I, sheet. I, when, I, when I did that, I actually got his advice. I said when I joined, I only, I've been at them since December last year, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I asked him about. it. He said, "Yeah, I was a member there." And I said, mm-hmm. "What do you think?" He said, "Go for it, mm-hmm. do it." And he was a real big supporter. So well, I'm happy you said that because yeah. when he joined, it was definitely very different to what it is now. Yeah, and that's business, right? That's business. Yeah. But um, he was really positive and supported. Yeah, encourage me to do it and, and you know, um, I haven't looked back. Yeah, and, and I mean speaking of Cabo, I guess what, what was it that made you join in the first place? Yeah, obviously, obviously, you know, I am um, taking a new career path and getting to what I do. Um, I knew that I, um, I needed to get out there and kind of rebrand myself, um, recreate myself and – that's not so much about doing that for others and how I look for others. It was more actually me stepping into and recreating myself within, mm. being okay in this space, you know, that I'm I'm now uh, into business coaching. I'm helping other business owners. I'm not working in their business or in my business per se. And um, I knew it was, this, 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 it was the right environment for me to get into to, to start to kind of unlock that and, Naturally, then when you rebrand yourself, you get out there, you build your network, and you realize, you know, that that's kind of the fundamentals of any business is mm. who you know and making sure that you get the word out there and that you're providing value. And I thought Cubby's got the environment which is conducive to that. So I thought it was a no brainer and I, I did it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because the reason you joined is, is, something that I always say is a big value of the club. You, you, you really build a personal entrepreneurial brand because suddenly, you know, all of these, other successful entrepreneurs know who you are, know what you do. You're, you're known for, you know, normally a certain thing in the club and you've got the opportunity to bring them value. So you really do build this kind of great position for yourself in the entrepreneurial world. And I guess what have you loved most about it so far? Uh, and I think probably many, many members would agree. I just found it from the get-go very warm and inviting. Mm. Um, you know, people talk about the culture of the club. That's what I think, that's what I think it is and – conducive to success it's a very positive environment uh calvin um i was going to ask you is calvin your membership manager he is yeah yeah and you know i've got a lot of time for calvin he was fantastic on my onboarding and he's still fantastic now you know that's the other thing too is the relationship that i have with with uh calvin who's my membership manager you know um it's only grown you know it's Mm. not like it's not like i just because i signed up you know, I don't see him anymore. We've got a closer relationship and you do work in partnership with the membership managers to make sure that, you know, you're delivering value mm. to the rest of the club firstly and also making sure that you're honest about, okay, what, how could you can extract value and, you know, and, and working with a partnership. It's got to be that way. Yeah, and have you had some success stories from the club? or have you- Yeah, yeah. I, I'm obviously building the network and meeting some great people yeah. that I feel like are really, really valuable to, to, to keep in touch with. Um, I've got clients uh, from, from great. yeah, which is great and, you know, validates kind of what I do and, 
There's three things. There's three things that the club can always do. I always say not the club. It's just a network. There's three mm. things that a network gives you. It's the relationships. Yeah. You can relate to people that are in similar situations and paths to you, that those friendships, those, those people you can count on. Yeah. Knowledge. Yeah. It's a huge one. Yeah. Um, um, in fact, I reckon it's probably the number one. No, I don't know. Friendships is pretty good at the club. But knowledge is a huge one. You're going to gain a huge amount of knowledge and, and business opportunities. They're the three things we can that, that any network can do regardless of club. Absolutely. We just have services that specialise in doing, in, in actually doing that the best, better than anyone else. Yeah. And can I just add something there? Yeah, please. Too? As long as it's a compliment. <laughs> oh, I'll let, you, I'll, let you, I'll, yeah. I'll let Laurie decide if yeah. it's a compliment. Yeah. Um, now it is. Look, one thing that's uh, that I didn't expect was um, probably something that I haven't shared was uh, when I joined last year. You know, obviously, getting into you know, building my business I, at the time, I was um, I was also like a, a part time carer for my mum. She was going through cancer at that stage, and um, you know, I was I was supporting her um, a lot uh, through that period. What that meant was I didn't have a lot of time. I didn't have a lot of time to waste. So I, I had the choice of choosing CUB with a lot of other things, knowing that I couldn't do all of them. And that's where the relationship really helped with Calvin and, mm-hmm. and, and working with you guys to understand, you know, how this could fit into my life. And I realised that it could fit in well with my, that predicament and it actually helped me through that period. You know, unfortunately, you know, um, my mum passed away about six weeks ago and um, that, was, that was really, really tough. But the reason why I mentioned all this and on my mum too is that throughout that period, if I didn't have some sort of structure which which is staying connected to my business and some sort of connecting with the community of like-minded business owners, mm-hmm. um, it would have been harder for me to cope. And in the end, I felt like it was a, it was a it was a little bit of a lifeline. Uh, I had other little lifelines too, but in the in the whole kind of promoting what I do and keeping something going on my business side. It really gave me the opportunity. I want to thank you for that. And you wouldn't have never known that before I for coming here today and doing the podcast. But I want to I want to thank you for that. And and obviously, can I also say too, with uh, COVID, then taking that to a whole nother level where everyone's been hit, and having the digital platform there has allowed I know for myself as a member me to stay connected. And I've, I'm delivering some talks there. And again, it's 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 if I didn't have that there. Um, you know, I don't know what I'd have in terms of being able to, to keep my kind of story going, my business going. And so I just wanted to – sorry, I've been talking about this a bit, but I just want to give you the acknowledgement, Daniel. And I no, think thank you do, you're doing a lot that you don't even know you're doing. So thank that, you. Well, first of all, I'm very sorry to, to hear about your loss, but I'm, I'm very grateful that we were able to, to – that, sorry, that the club was able to have a positive impact on you. So. Um, that that definitely was a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. Um, just on the topic of family, yeah, we've been searching for a slogan, a cup, like a, just the, the the you know that little punchline. That's what cub is, and mm. that's what it represents. Mm. And we landed on like we've been doing this for about two years, mind you. Mm. We got nowhere. I think the furthest we got was more than a network at one point. Mm. Which was kind of insinuating it's more than just a network. It's like a family. Yeah. And there's also other things. Yeah. But where we ended up last week was your business family. Oh, and yeah. do you think that's lame or do you think that's cool? I like it. Yeah, I'm pro it too. The team was. The team yeah. was very pro. We haven't asked yeah. any members yet. You're the first yeah. one. But yeah, I like it. Yeah. I think it said do you think it says what it is? It kind of 
encapsulates it? I think it does. And I think I think the, from the outset, it's an incredible amount of pressure to try to figure out the most important three words that you can put together that encapsulate everything you do. Like, how hard is that? That man? is it, the, figuring out the three <laughs> most important words that can encapsulate the essence of what you do the best. That is how difficult it is. A com- a, someone's job is to find a slogan. Yeah, or and, and, and even worse than that, like even harder is when you come out with it and the first thing is like, is this trite, is this cliche, is this what other people are? Then you got to overlay that. Because you've got to be unique, right? It's got yeah. to cut through. Yeah. And and it's it's really, really tough. But say that again. What what is it again? Your business family. That's Your not very family. encouraging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your business family. I honestly believe if that's what resonates with the team and that's where you guys are, and that really encapsulates that, you need to be okay that you don't need everyone, everyone to kind of like tick it tick it off. But as long as the team and you, particularly you as the founder, do and it really resonates then you know what it will be what it is depending on the intention that you give it the attention and the intention that you give it and that's what difference i don't think it's so much the words it's about do you do you love it does the team love it are you going to live it and then it becomes it well i'll tell you i'll tell you one thing cub when and just put this in perspective for the listeners daniel davies was a member like i said who joined in the first maybe six months, three months even. He was a member for two to three years um, and then and he took a break when, when we opened Melbourne. Mm. Um, uh, he's also the – he he's the one that owns the rights to EOS, the EOS operating system for Australasia. Is that correct? That's Something right. Something like that. Yeah. Really yeah. successful dude, really cool guy. I can tell you my pitch to him, which I would have done when I was 23, not knowing absolutely anything about pretty much anything – yeah, nothing at all about nothing. <laughs> what I definitely said to him back then, which I can guarantee I said, and pretty much everyone that joined back then, was it's like it's a business family. That's yeah. the concept. And the reason was because that's what we wanted it to be. We didn't know what the service was. Yeah. We didn't know back then there was no such thing as networking for us. Yeah. We didn't have our core operating system. and We just had, hey, you join, it's a business family, you kind of help each other. There were no systems in place to allow that to happen. But yeah. th- my point is that's the concept. And I also think that that's what makes Cub different. And you could, I mean, I'd like to ask, like, Laura, we have to set you up a mic so when I ask you questions you can actually answer them. That's a great idea. Yeah, we've got one. We've got a spare one. Um, It's your point of difference. It's family first of all. I'm just talking about creating a slogan for anyone, right? I was using the random one I said. But family is something that you think of family. I mean, you're Italian so you probably really understand it. But but. Family, okay, you understand the concept of a family. Mm. So when you say it's your business family, you're, mm. you're basically it's easy to understand, I feel. It's okay, well, it's what a family provides you but for, for my business life. Mm. Mm. And I think that's a really you – you get it. Yeah. You, know, you get it. You do. You yeah. do. And, and I think when you start kind of fleshing it out and describing it to people, mm. it becomes something really, really special. And So you're pro I, I'm definitely pro it. Cool. I actually, the, and the, I know I'm pro it because the more and more, and I'm like this, the more and more I think of it, and I'll probably think of it in a couple of days' time and probably message you. Yeah, Again, like it just grows in momentum. And it, it, if you find that something kind of just everyone starts to kind of build and get closer together and more cohesive and like it just starts to grow legs, as they mm. say, man, you know you've got it. And I, I think already in the first few minutes of knowing I already liked it but then it's already kind of growing. Grows and you know, what, you know what I'm thinking? You know what I'm thinking? Hit me. 
when I think family, this may be, this is just a viewpoint. This may not be re- real to you or not. I was going to offer it. Family sometimes you love them and sometimes it's tough. Mm. And, you know, that, that conversation about we had with kind of onboarding a new employee and saying there's some challenges. Like, yeah. It's like it's a family. That means sometimes, you know, some like you know you got to keep recreating it. You got to we, we work for each other, we work with each other. Doesn't mean kind of the world's perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, but we get together, we work through things, and we 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 do it together, you yeah. know. And I think there's there's a lot that you can work with with family, all in a positive way, but keeping it kind of real. And I think the more reality that you you give, the more it doesn't really become. It's not a marketing slogan. It's mm. actually who you are. Yeah, which is the gold. Yeah, which yeah, and it also it goes towards as a business. And this is a question I want to ask you: is about how to really understand or identify a clear goal or vision for the business. Mm. You know, if that slogan or that three words you have or whatever kind of works towards the goal or is somewhat similar, you know, it's easier to find your goal. So, yeah. if the slogan is your business family, and I guess the mission is to unite Australia's entrepreneurs and leaders, mm. which would be our vision or whatever you'd call it, Yeah, that kind of aligns. So how would you recommend a business find or clarify what its vision or its goal is? What's the best way to look for your vision or your goal, whether it be long-term or whether it be shorter? Yeah, I think that really talks to the kind of the essence of what we do. Um, you know, as, as myself as a professional EOS implementer, one of the first things that we do is we work with business owners and their leadership teams to kind of develop that vision uh, out. And and really the funny well, – one thing I will say with with um, working on your vision is, you know, particularly when I work with all my clients, everyone has a vision, right? Even in cover, everyone's got a vision of, of, of what what it is. Every business, business owner and, and the staff and the management team, the issue that is and the thing that we all need to work on is – making sure that it's the common vision, mm-hmm. making sure that everybody is singing off the same song sheet. That's the tough part. And what I would say in terms of tips with developing your vision is what you want to do is you want to clarify it and simplify it so that it's very easily understood and and that's what's going to get that, that kind of shared by all um, kind of end result. A shared vision with everybody from from the top down, singing off the same song. song sheet, that's what cre- that's what really creates power in a vision, and you know everything else that you said there in terms of where you want to be potentially long term, you know, ten years time, you know your core values, what are the guiding principles of of your business, um, you know what you're gonna what it's gonna look like in a little bit detail, a little bit of detail in three years time. So pairing it back, they're all the kind of tactical things that you can do to really shape a vision out and. That's something that we we really really do well with our clients, but the key is to make sure that then it's shared by all and everyone's on the same page, singing off the same song sheet. Yeah, uh, like I said, everyone has a vision, but it's about making sure everyone has the same vision. And a good way of doing that is making it easy for them to remember. So really simple. Exactly, and and yeah, you know, putting it on one page. Yeah, putting it. You know, on one page. It doesn't have to be a fifty-page thing. And is there a process you actually go through to, to identify the vision or? Yeah, look, uh, there is a process. You know, uh, one tip uh, is I recommend if someone wants wants one way to do it would be there's a book out there on the market called Traction, mm-hmm. and you know, if anyone's interested, 
Yeah. I've read it. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, they connect with me on LinkedIn. I can steer you in the right direction. Um, that book has has that formula stepped out perfectly, and you know that would be what I would recommend people do because you're getting it from the source, and that's essentially what we do with our clients. Mm-hmm. But what I would also say is, when you when you're following that simple those simple steps, don't do it in isolation. This is a real key. Don't do it from your ivory tower, if you will. Pick pick a bunch of what you call what you consider senior leaders in the business and do it together and be open, honest, and vulnerable to put your business out there in the middle and everyone have an opinion on it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do what they say, similar to the conversation with clients and the client's not always right. It doesn't mean that we don't afraid to ask what could be better. That open, honest, vulnerable place that you put yourself in to get everyone kind of sharing the contributing to the vision and then pairing it back and then agreeing on a common vision that then you can put simply and clearly on on a page, let's say, um, that's so powerful. That's what I would say. That would be my recommendation for for business. And the book Traction steps you through it brilliantly. Just because I know a fair bit about the book and, and EOS, do you want to share also the concept of the scorecard and of the quarterly um, – they're called quarterly rocks, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So – so I think you know it's it's all fair and well to have what we say it's all fair and well to have a vision, but if you don't have a vision without traction, is mere hallucination. So, you know, we can say where we want to be in ten years' time. You know, we can articulate that simply and clearly, and we can, you know, come up with our core values, which is the guiding principles with who, that explain who we are. Very simple marketing strategy, which says you know who, who defines who our ideal prospect is and the message that we're going to say, and we can also very simply articulate what it's going to look like, what this business is going to look like in three years' time. That's the vision piece, right? But then it's very important then that we actually get traction on that vision and we break it down into well, what are we going to do in the next 12 months? That if we get these things done, revenue, profit, um, three to seven most important strategic priorities, goals for the year, if we get them done, is going to lead into achieving that vision, achieving that 10-year plan. And then we go one step further and say, okay, well, what are we going to do in the next 90 days, next quarter, revenue, profit, what are the rocks, what are the most important kind of strategic priorities that we're going to accomplish in the next 90 days that's going to allow us to get to the one-year plan. Chunking it down like that makes it very real for business owners to make sure that they don't just kind of set a real big lofty goal and not prepared to go granular and understand and commit to what they need to do right now in the next 90 days to actually – to make traction on and achieve it. And just to clarify, the rocks are basically quarterly goals. Yeah, so rocks came from a concept of, you know, imagine there's a vase and that vase represents the time that you have as a business and as an individual. And then you've got, you know, you've got these rocks which are like big quarterly priorities, the most important things that you need to achieve. You've got pebbles which are all the things that you've got to do in your role. They might not be as important but you've got to do them. And then you've got sand which represents all the wasted time and distraction. The problem with business today is that people don't get that concept. And what they do with their time, with their vase, is they throw the sand in, then the pebbles, and there's no room for the rocks. There's no room for the major important strategic objectives that are really going to advance your business forward in that three to ten-year goal. What we what we do when we work with leadership teams is we teach them the concept and we get them to define what their rocks are. What are the three to seven most important things you need to do this quarter. We put the rocks in the vase. Then they overlay the pebbles with the things they need to do. Obviously not everything fits, 
but then you leave minimal room for the sand. That's how you get things done. Incredible. And the scorecard? So the scorecard is another way to track your accountability. Yeah, so we said we were going to do these numbers or achieve these things. So what the whole concept of the scorecard is this. What are the five to 15 most important numbers in your business that if you track them weekly, right, you get a real kind of pulse on your business. Now, just imagine this. Imagine you weren't here. Imagine you're on a desert island and all you had was the bellboy coming to you kind of every week, no internet, no phone, no computer, and all they did was hand you a piece of paper with these five to 15 numbers every week. Question is this, receiving those numbers, seeing those numbers change week to week, would you know how your business is performing? Would you get a real pulse on how it's performing? If the answer is yes, they're your five to 15 numbers. We work with leadership teams to, to identify those numbers, get them tracking that, setting a target each week, making sure that the numbers are more leading, not lagging, right? There are more things that- What do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is, you know, profit might be a lagging indicator. You know, we want to make X amount of money in the next quarter. There's things that you need to do in a business to make profit. You can't just say, I want profit. You've got to do certain things. So what we do is we look at, say, for sales, how many sales calls have we made? How many new leads have we generated? Um, little things like that to make sure that, you know, we're, we're concentrating week to week on the things that actually will move the needle later on, will move profit later on, not profit itself each mm. week. We the get things that cause profit exactly. rather than the profit itself. Exactly. So we track them week to week. That's what we call a scorecard and it helps us stay accountable to achieving the vision. It's kind of like a scorecard because it keeps keep score on a weekly basis of what you're doing. You know where you're supposed to be and it tells you what you actually got. Absolutely. And, you know, when you're not getting it, what are you going to do about it? And it's it, it's measured daily and weekly. So with EOS we say weekly. Okay. Yeah, I mean people could take different variations, you know, however they want, but mm -hmm. um, purely at EOS we say, you know, tracking it weekly, a weekly number. Cool, cool. Um, awesome. Uh, we actually have, since Daniel showed me the scorecard, scorecard mm. we still have the scorecard. We oh, still great. use it. Um, but we do it daily. Gotcha. With me, I need to be seeing something. I just believe that the more consistent it is, yeah. the more of focus it is, yeah. the more you focus on something, the more you're going to – more you're gonna hit, yeah. more likely you are going to gonna hit the targets. What you're saying. So yeah, we do it. We do it. I get it every day, actually. Wow. Um, and Mark, just before we finish up, mm. is there any last thing you'd like to leave the listeners with? Uh, any, I guess, last thought or, or lesson or life lesson? Uh, you did mention the book Traction, which is something great, and everyone should should uh, mm. go purchase i've read it it's good too but is there a, is there a final lesson that you'd like to leave everyone with i think three three things come to mind i think i mean first i think it's important that everyone does have an operating system in their business you know, eos is just one form of that it could be other things it's a, a structure and a method by which you run your business to get the most out of your business and you know when we're talking about vision and and actually execution, executing the strategy and keeping accountability, the operating system in your business should be able to be the, the kind of framework to be able to keep that going consistently because if you're consistent and you don't give up, you're going to achieve the results. But you ultimately you do need some sort of framework there. Um, I think we touched on it before about team. You know, you mentioned that every podcast talks about team. I think it is all about the people. And at the end of the day, there's a lot, you've got a lot of competitors and they all do the same at the end of the day, selling the same thing, very few people are very differentiated. Very few businesses are very differentiated. 
what the differentiator is is how well can you attract talented people and retain them because it's th- it's them that actually run the business for you it's them that actually make the clients happy so you know it's all about the people and now i'd say finally from an individual's point of view i think commitment is a big word for me um you have to be committed in in business if you want to succeed and and yes it means not giving up yes it means keep going forward but i I think it means more than that i think i think it you have to have the commitment of that but also that you're going to be committed to being a better version of yourself and a better a business owner and a, a you know a, a better um, staff member. I think that commitment to learning and to and to always kind of be honing your craft is, is very very important. And and no matter what, like I even said said it to you know, some people the other day, like commitment doesn't stop when you fail. You may fail. Like a business might, particularly in these COVID times, some people have been hit with some some really kind of harsh luck. It's really really unfair, but. You know, I would encourage everyone, no matter where they are, is to stay committed. It doesn't mean that you can't start again. Be committed to the cause because I believe if you have that mindset and you keep going and you keep learning and becoming a better version of yourself, then you'll have your day in the sun. And like we said before, you know, if everyone was, if it was all easy, everyone would be doing it. And we're a special breed, us business owners, and we need to understand that. But then there's a responsibility that comes with it to keep learning, keep growing and stay committed. Incredible. You're an incredible man and and we're very lucky to have you as a as a member of Cub. So thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for all the incredible lessons you've given us. And maybe um do you want to mention if any any of the listeners want to reach out to you? Do you want them to reach out on LinkedIn or is there another way you'd like for them to reach out? Yeah, you can reach out on LinkedIn, uh, Mark Dinoyer. Uh, also my website, uh, markdenoyer.com. How do you spell Dinoyer? D-I-N-O-I-A. And markdenoyer.com. Yeah. Awesome. And if you can't find that, you can reach out to Gab and we'll do it for you. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.